Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Tez My Best Teacher podcast, hosted by me, Dan Worth. Today's guest is comedy legend Charlie Higson, best known for playing a host of hilarious characters on The Far Show, as well as writing the hugely popular Young Bond series of books and the zombie horror series The Enemy. On the podcast, he chats about his memories of school, including an amazing art teacher who played a fundamental role in his development, discusses a new book he's written called Worst Holiday Ever that draws on his experiences of a memorable French exchange trip, and he reveals if any teachers have found their way into any of his comic creations over the years. All that and lots more on the My Best Teacher podcast from Tez. Hi, Charlie. Welcome to the My Best Teacher podcast. Great to chat with you. Um, let's kick things off then, delving back into the past and primary school. You know, where was that? And again, the teachers there you remember that with great fondness or sort of wacky lessons or anything like that? Well, it was a very long time ago. Uh, <laughs> I went to a, a classic prep school, a prep school of the old school, a very minor prep school of which there were quite a lot more around in those days. Mm. I think anybody could just set up a school. Um, this one has been set up by a guy called Mr. Carter. Mm. And it was like something out of Evelyn War. Um, you know, like Decline and Fall. It was full of these crusty old teachers who'd been there forever. And, you know, they all taught one subject each. Uh, and, yeah, looking back, I can hardly believe that that was actually my life. Mm. <laughs> that I lived through those times. <laughs> I mean, I, I, had, uh, I had fun there. I, I left when I was 11. Mm. Um, it was classically, the prep school set up, you stay till you're 13. Um, so what I missed out on, because I, I, I somehow, on the strength of my 11 plus, got a scholarship to another school at the mm. age of 11. Um, so I slightly missed out on those last two years where you get to be the oldest kids in the school. And, you know, I think you... Uh, you can swan about the place as uh, Lord High and Mighty, and and I never got that. And I, and I, and I think that's an interesting system. It's different to this primary school, the state school system, where you do leave when you're eleven, don't you? Yeah, yeah, and you're um, right. And that thing of being the oldest in the school is quite an important little thing to do, isn't it? And I guess some kids this year would have yeah. missed out on that, unfortunately. But as you say, it's yeah, uh, all those all those things that have changed. And you know, maybe that is part of this sort of sense of confidence that a lot of people who've gone through the private school system have mm. is they from 12 and 12 to 13 they've been the big kids they've been in charge and then maybe that prepares them better for yeah life that's and an interesting going point. on who knows that's an interesting point is it because maybe at that age maybe that's the perfect time to have a bit of confidence instilled in you but if we send most kids into a secondary school at 11 and 12 we They're didn't, right didn't back that. to feeling insecure, yeah. and uh, which was what I was, because I, I, I then I went to Seven Oaks School uh, in Kent, which mm. is a very progressive independent school, and there you just went straight in at um, eleven, I guess, twelve, whatever mm. it was. Right. Uh, so yeah, I was, you know, having been on the brink of being the biggest kid in the school, I went to being the, you know, the the squittiest, mm. as we would have been called in those <laughs> days. <laughs> and, and on your primary school, I mean, you sort of insinuate that it was a very sort of from another era, but I mean, is there anything sort of any sort of surreal tales then of that or sort of teachers doing odd things that you think? That well, we it was share? all those tales of, you know, half the teachers were drunks. <laughs> um, and, you know, there, there was still obviously corporal punishment. 
uh, and there was, the, but, uh, but there was, uh, it was, it wasn't, it was kind of half boarding. I only boarded for a couple of terms when my parents went abroad for a little while. Um, but you could, you sort of see the appeal of the sort of Harry Potter appeal of being in a world that is, that is all kids. Mm. You know, you're, you're, you're not dealing with those, those home domestic problems. You are suddenly in this world of kids and you do create your own little society there. Um, which, which is, which was quite interesting, you know, and you could look out the window at night and see teachers returning from the pub and passing out on the doorstep whilst trying to find their keys. Uh, and, you know, they would, they would hit you on a whim. Uh, they, they, they could do whatever they liked. And, you know, you could, they taught the lessons however they wanted to. Mm. Um, and they, they all had their own li- yeah, their little room each. And that was where you went to Mr. Taylor to do maths. And that was where you went to see Mrs. Drinkle to do English. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, looking back, they do appear like, um, characters from an old 1960s British satirical comedy film. Yes. <laughs> well, did, um, are there any teachers there that, that you do remember as thinking, actually, they, they were good or they were right, or they did actually kindle a sort of an interest in something that I've always maintained? Or... There was a young, uh, there was a young, I guess he probably came in to, to teach English. He was only there, you know, in those days, a year felt like 10 years. He might have mm. only been there for a term, for all I know. But he was young and he did drama and he got he got us all to sort of improvise things and sort of play games in the classroom and pretend to be pirates and things. And I do remember that as being a huge amount of fun. And maybe that uh, gave me a taste for, taste for, for performing and for mm. drama. Okay, well, we move on to the, to the secondary school then, and you, we've talked a little bit about that already, saying so you were the, the squittiest in the school. But, I mean, did that actually play out, and did you find it hard, or was it actually, was it, was it good? Did you, was it better? Do you have sort of more? Well, I've always, I've always been quite shy, and I was very shy as a boy. And I was always sort of slightly away from the mainstream. I, I was never any good at sport. I got in with the sort of arty set, English and art were the sort of two main things for me. And I had a more sort of, a smaller but sort of, more diverse and stranger friendship group, I suppose. I didn't, I didn't join in with the with the, the mainstream activities and the group activities there. So I think as a, as a shy person, you do, um, you do keep away from the herd in many ways, mm. um, and it can turn you a little bit sort of um, snobbish, which I probably was in terms of refusing to listen to pop music and things like that, mm. um, and and that sort of in some ways kept through me through 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 the whole of my time there at school as as uh, you know I don't think I was I thought of myself as a cool kid always considered as a cool kid but um I was I was definitely more in with an arty set mm. but obviously that 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 seems like it served you very well given what you, everything you've gone on to do that that was you know drew drew you there and and sort of then became part of you so maybe the school helped in that because you met similar oh, people it did. Or... I mean you know it was it was an amazing it was an amazing school. It still is, and and and, and pretty progressive uh, school. It was um, when I was there. It was it was uh, single sex. Although the sixth form in my last year, I think, did have a, they introduced a couple of girls, and now it's fully mixed. And kids from all around the world go there. So mm. it is. It, it, uh, and I had a great time. You know, I really loved it, and I got a huge amount out of it. And were there teachers there again? You you remember. Only. Well, the the main teacher who had the biggest influence on me there and on my life was was the art teacher Bob White, 
Mm. Uh, they had a, a fantastic art department there, which he ran. And um, it was a classic art department where you would hang out there between lessons and after school and things. And, you know, it had a record player and the older kids would put albums on. Mm. It being a 60s, there was a lot of uh, Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it did, you know, even then, even back in the uh, sort of uh, late 60s, early 70s, they had a little TV studio there. You could make TV stuff. We did filming. Um, but the main thing was that, that you know, I, I think I probably learnt more in the art department under Bob White than, than any other lessons at school, just in terms mm. of, you know, there's a big debate about what is, what is an education, what is an education for, what's the best way to educate someone. And if you look back at the, the classic public schools, what they used to educate people was a very, very narrow education. You know, you were mainly being educated to fit in with your peers when you went to work for the family firm in the city mm. and so that you could keep up with conversations in the club. If someone did a Latin quote at you, you could come back with a, with a, a Greek quote that would top him. Uh, and that was what your education was for. Uh, and it's a constant thing in this country of, of, of why we teach kids and what we teach kids. And, and, and obviously, in the end, what we need to be doing is teaching them to be equipped for life, to face mm. the world as it is today. And I do think the way the world is changing today, that education really does need a bit of a kick up the backside to rethink it entirely. You know, kids need to be taught main things they need to be taught how to negotiate the Internet. Mm. Everything they need to know is on there, but they, but you know that's kind of like one percent of the information on there. The other ninety nine percent is absolute nonsense yeah. <laughs> and, and lies and fantasies. So you know, they can they can access whatever they need. They need to be taught how to do that, mm. and also being you know they need to be taught how to be with each other, to interact with each other, how to be a responsible citizen. All these things. Yeah, well, it's interesting Obviously. you say that. I mean, there, there's definitely, sorry, there definitely is a movement of that. And I think a lot of teachers do try and teach that. But as you're, to your point, in a way, the curriculum denies a lot yes. of time to that. But I, I think yeah. teachers, like we talk to all kinds of teachers, they know that they, they, they fit that in, they make little time for it in the yeah. five minutes in their and lessons. And that's the frustration, but, frustrating thing for teachers is they're mm. not allowed to teach how they want. And of course, different governments come in and they tinker with things. But, mm. Because they know that actually most of the things that, that they're supposedly in control of, they have no control over at all things like the economy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but education, yeah, they can, they can set their own curriculum if they want, tell teachers what to teach. And, of course, each government comes in with a different view of what that should be. But, there, but it was a very progressive school, Seven Oaks, and the art department, I mean, Bob White, what he taught kids to do was to think, was to look at the world, to see it, what it was and what was going on, and how to reinterpret that through art and also to think about what you're doing through art. And, you know, I mean, a lot of his lessons teaching you would be talking about philosophy and science and loads of other things. And, you know, I, I, in terms of developing my, my brain and my way of looking at the world and thinking about the world, those lessons were absolutely fundamental for me. Mm. That's great, isn't it, to hear that? And, you, you know, we've had a few guests on who've talked about teachers like that who don't just inspire a love of the subject or help you get good grades, but they, they do something more. And I think, you know, we're talking to, we talk to, to Lem C say about this, and it's in that sort of fluke of who you end up with as your teacher, yeah. as a pupil. And you never know, but like I say, that, that one dynamic that you de that developed in that school for you with that teacher clearly was yeah. so integral. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that can go horribly wrong. Mm, yeah. Um, because, you know, you'll get a teacher for one year or something. And I noticed this with my own kids at, at school, 
they just went to the local secondary school here in London. And, you know, they'd get an amazing teacher for a year uh, in like something like, say, geography. Mm. And when it came then to choose what to do for A-level, say, right, I've got to do geography because it's amazing. And of course, the, in the way of the school, sadly, there's, there's quite a high turnover of teachers. And suddenly you're doing geography with a not so good teacher. And you're thinking, why on earth am I doing geography? Yeah. What I responded to was not the subject. It was the teacher. It was the mm. way it was being taught. And, and, you know, so I think it's quite a difficult and a tricky thing to navigate that um, and to work out what it is that, that, that really clicks with you and that, that you're going to get a lot out of and, and put a lot back in. There's one, the one thing you said earlier, which is that in the last year of your school, you said a couple of girls joined. I mean, is that literally, was it just two girls? And that must have been very weird for all the boys to suddenly have a few girls wandering around. Well, it sort of was and it wasn't. I mean, they were just ordinary girls. It wasn't like sort of St. Trinians. They weren't turning up in <laughs> stockings and high heels. Or anything. You know, they were, and uh, there was a certain excitement. Oh, I've got one of the girls in my class, but you, you just... Realise, oh, they're just ordinary people. Yeah, like oh, that us. does sound quite progressive. So, I can imagine boys just being a yeah, bit like, oh, it, what do we do? <laughs> and I think after I left, it quite rapidly, I think it started through the sixth form and then filtered right through the school. Mm. Um, and that actually was it was my my main regret. I think from school was the fact that it was uh, it was single sex, and I didn't have a lot of opportunity to to meet girls and to. Um, be amongst girls and to have girls as friends, which mm. I think is really important. And that was what I really enjoyed about my boys being at school. Is that they had friendship groups that were 50% boys and 50% girls. Mm. And they were just friends, you know, but whereas for me, where you hardly ever meet a girl. Uh, and in fact, at school in the sixth form, we, we, we did drama and we, um, we, we did that in conjunction when we were putting on plays with um, something called the West Kent Youth Theatre. Uh, because they had girls, so girls would come into the school for that, and that was quite exciting. Mm. Um, but you know, as a boy who hadn't grown up amongst girls, you do, you know, you think, God, I've, 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 I've got to get off with one of these girls. Yeah. It's really important, <laughs> rather than just thinking, oh, this girl's nice. I, I, I like talking to her. You know, yeah. so uh, it, 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 it skews, it skews you slightly. So I, I'm not a fan of of single sex education. Well, one thing I'll ask you about now is, um, is school trips, particularly if you went on any good ones overseas, because that will then lead us in nicely potentially to this, this book you've written about, which talks about some things we're discussing here. So, yeah, any good school trips you remember? Yeah, well, I did the classic uh, year, the French exchange year, mm. um, where, oh, was it a term? It must have only been a, a term. I, I think it was probably, I think, the, uh, the French kid came and stayed with us at our house for a term. A whole term. Uh, and then I, well, it felt like a term. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was only, actually, probably it was, it was probably half of the summer term, which is quite mm. a long one, isn't it? So it was three or four weeks, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so he, uh, Patrick, came to stay with us and go to school with me. And then I went to his school in Pontoise in France. Uh, where we were boarding at the school during the week and then with his parents in Paris at the weekends. Mm. And that was, that was an extraordinary kind of uh, growing up process for me, to be away from home that time and to go to a French school for, for four weeks doing all your lessons in French, mm. whether it was science, maths, French. Um, 
So, and then, you know, just living a completely different lifestyle. And in fact, some of the things that happened in that, uh, on that French exchange, I, I kind of channeled into my, my new book, which is about a, a boy going on, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> oh, oh, that's got it. Uh, sorry, I'm not too, <laughs> shouldn't be doing my characters. Doing a bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, um, he, uh, uh, yeah, so... You know, in the, in the, my my book is about a boy going on holiday with a friend's family, and he doesn't know any of them, mm. uh, and he's thrown into this 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 very different world. And I and I did take a couple of things from that. His family were quite a sort of bohemian, Parisian family. They had a very arty um, apartment right in the centre of Paris, and you know, we'd, I'd go out and have to eat all the French meals and snails and everything, mm. the frogs' legs. Um, <laughs> I did actually. I remember yeah. eating snails and, and frogs. Yeah, and it was it was quite an eye opener because uh, you know my father uh, my father was an accountant, so we we had quite a conservative upbringing. Mm. And I do remember that the that um, his mother, I think she might have been an actress, but we were we we went away for a sort of holiday weekend with them. We were supposed to go ballooning, but they couldn't get the the balloon to go up into <laughs> the air. Uh, but yes, we were playing charades and. The mother was having to act out one thing. I can't remember what it, the relevance of it, but it entailed her lifting her T-shirt and exposing herself <laughs> and uh, slapping her breasts. Uh, and I remember thinking this was quite extraordinary. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I want, do you remember what the charade was about? Or? Well, it must have been something to do with nakedness or breasts or, <laughs> or something. Yeah, I'm trying to think uh, of what on earth that could no uh yes uh, well i was too startled to remember what, what what was actually being acted out but i still have a vivid vivid memory of 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 it happening um there was also a long conversation i had with the with the father who was a very arty type with long hair who took me up to the top of um the arc de triomphe he was showing me around paris mm. it was very windy and he said do you like the wind uh, and I really didn't know what to say. Mm. I mean, what, what kid likes the wind? And he went into a big, long philosophical thing about the wind, yeah. which I put in my book because actually, even though I don't like the wind particularly, <laughs> the idea of having a philosophical conversation with an adult like that at the age of 13, who's treating you almost like a, an adult himself, was, was, uh, was a good experience. Yeah. Um, well, so, yes, I, uh, I've used that in the book as well. I love the idea of that seed of standing on the top of the Arc Triomphe. And it, in my mind, it's already it's black and white, obviously. It's sort of noir. And then someone's yeah. saying, do you like the wind? <laughs> just, yes, oh, it was very French. Yeah. The whole thing was very sort of French. It was a bit like, yeah, it was like being in a French film yeah. for a little while. Uh, you know, that was the appeal of going to see French films as a teenager, was mm. somebody would, would, would show their breasts. Um, <laughs> uh, and they'd, then they'd have a philosophical discussion. <laughs> <laughs> The book is called Worst Holiday Ever with, with full yes. stops on each each word. So, I mean, it doesn't sound like that was the worst, well, it wasn't a holiday, but it doesn't sound like it was the worst thing ever, but obviously bits have informed the book. So was there a reason that you, you decided to write the book now? Was you, You've been thinking back about that period of your life and thinking there's a space to for a story that well, children I, can relate I, I, to? Yeah, well, I, as I say, it is um, it is about this kid going on holiday with another, um, another of a friend's family. Mm. Um I bought, uh, we bought a house in Italy about 15 years ago and we would always go there every summer with the kids and they would very often bring friends out with them. 
Uh, and it was very communal living. You know, at lunchtime, there'd be like 15 people around a table all sharing the same food. And these other kids would turn up and you know, they wouldn't know anyone else. Um, a lot of them fitted in really well. Some of them, I could see it was, it was harder for them. Mm. And I used to wonder, what must it be like for those kids to be thrown into this different world? And a lot of funny things happened and some, you know, some more dramatic things happened. Um, and I'd always thought I'd quite like to write a, a story about that, about like, from that kid's point of view. Mm. And in some ways it, it's, it's, it's like a sort of story. I mean, it's a comedy, but it's, it's along the lines of something like The Go-Between or The Primer Miss Jean Brodie, where it's about kids observing the adult world and trying to make sense of it. Mm. Um, and so I channeled into it things I remembered from going on holiday as a kid, incidents like I just, we just talked about, like going on the French exchange, things that happened with my own boys when they were there and, the, and their friends that they were there. And I'd been working on a big, long writing project, which I'd been working on for a couple of years, I think. And I, and I realized it really wasn't going to be ready anytime soon. I still haven't finished it. And I, but then I thought, well, I could actually probably, I could quite quickly write this other book. It's for younger kids, so it's not as long as, as, as an adult book, say. Uh, and I had all these incidents and ideas that I, that I already had in my head. So I wrote, I wrote a first draft quite quickly. Um, mm. And and I and I really enjoyed it. And then uh, I was very excited. It was meant to be published last spring. Very excited, thinking, great, the book's out next year. Kid going on holiday in summer. Everybody can read that on mm. their summer holidays. He's going to Italy. That's quite fun. And then, oh, there's some kind of disease causing problems yeah. in Italy. <laughs> and so nobody went on a summer holiday hardly last year. The book, the publication was delayed by a whole year. Uh and we still don't know really whether people will be going on mm. summer holidays this year. So, you know, for the books trade, that sort of summer holiday beach reading is, is a huge, huge deal for them. It's very important. I mean, luckily, people did read through through lockdown and, mm. and publishers have done okay. But that classic sort of a book designed to be a perfect holiday yeah. read, uh, we got a bit shafted there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah But, but you know, let's face it, everybody has been shafted by this thing and uh you know i i it's uh i'm just i'm just a tiny part of that mm. one of the things i like in the blurb for the book is it says that one of the the kid's biggest fears is calling his friend's mum mum you know yes which is really laugh because that is such a classic thing isn't it and it's particularly same in school like if you call your teacher mum or, or dad i suppose although it doesn't seem to happen so you don't i'm not aware of it, it doesn't happen so much people call their teacher's dad i don't know but mum seems like the more likely one that's of... that's the classic one i think because mm. it, it also it 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 shows a bit of sort of vulnerability yeah. it, it makes you out to be a a mummy's boy as as one used to be called it's yeah. a sort of language we don't use anymore um but yes you know kids are very sensitive to these small hurts and you know it's a very complex world that kids have to negotiate and and, and find their way through. And that, a lot of that is in the book. It's like, how are you with other kids? Uh, are you going to say the right thing? Gonna... And when you're shy, you know, you, you worry terribly about shit, saying the right thing and mm. doing the right thing. And, and Stan in the book is very shy. And you do that classic thing of, oh, what do I say? How do I respond to this? Should I say this? Should I say that? And, and the conversation has moved on and so you don't say anything. Mm. Uh, and you can get quite sort of uh, isolated from 
from other people. So it is about Stan learning how to to cope with that and learning how to deal with those negotiating that world. And I, and you know, I think that's quite an interesting thing. What's happened over the last year is, um, obviously, particularly teenagers have have has been pretty miserable for them, but quite a lot of kids have actually liked having that pressure taken off them. That that every day, you know, a lot of kids go to school is is fills them with anxiety. Mm. How are they going to deal with all those other kids? Um, and, you know, obviously the big sort of headline things are what gets discussed, but just that day-to-day, am I saying the right thing? Am I wearing the right clothes? What will everyone think of me? It's is, is, is hard work for kids. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, that, that, that book is kind of, the, the book is kind of about that. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right because we've had lots of teachers who've written for us saying that during the sort of first period of lockdown, particularly noticing that they're usually the quiet pupils who didn't engage in class were some of the most vocal all of a sudden. You're willing to type questions to the teacher direct because it removed that, as you say, that fear factor that what yes. were the other pupils think? Because suddenly it was, yes. it was private and one-to-one or it could be done sort of anonymously almost. And they were saying that it's been great. You know, some of these kids have thrived and, and yeah. you know, it's not. So it's, for some some kids, it is, it is suited them quite well, mm-hmm. you know. And there is that, you know, in a lot of schools, there is that, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want to look like I'm trying too hard and being swatty, as we would have called mm. it. And, you know, that's a real shame because, you know, the, the kids are being held back because of that. The book sounds great. It's called uh, Worst Holiday Ever. And that's out, I think it was published yesterday or out to buy yesterday um, from when this podcast is, is live. So definitely worth looking out for. And hopefully we will be on summer holidays and that will be read. And I'm sure a lot of... Um, a lot of teenagers will read it, hopefully, or young people read it and, and get something from it. And then I suspect maybe the parents could pick it up as well and sort of as a little insight into, oh, yeah, I must remember that well, I was like at that age and it's not as easy as yeah. it looks sometimes. From well, when, well, when well Stan in the book is 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 kind of 12-year-old, so it's sort of that's the sort of core mm. readership, the sort of 10 to 12. But, yes, it is about adults and it is about adult behaviour. Mm. Uh, and it is about, in many ways, it's 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 about adults and how they bring up kids and whether they're doing it right yeah when you said earlier you said you used to see some of these children your friends of your your children and they could see they were a little bit you know did you ever sort of feel compelled to sort of throw in a sort of philosophical do you like the wind type question or were you more aware uh, like no i let better leave them be you know <laughs> i would i would uh, what i found actually was in a couple of occasions is like it's like engaging them in an activity but not doing it at a kind of come on I'm going to engage you in an activity. It's like, oh, can you give me a hand with this? Mm. And they actually, once they're doing things and they're joining in with you, then then it's fine. And, and you know, what they don't want is that that pressurised, he's an adult talking to me about something. This is becoming a big deal now. Mm. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I always find that if, you know, you keep kids busy and occupied and doing something fun, then, then uh, they can relax a little bit. Yes, yeah. But no, I didn't ever ask any of them if they like the wind. <laughs> <laughs> I could just imagine this little sort of, you know, little devil on your shoulder going, oh, God, you know, throw him a, throw him a curveball. But. <laughs> um, excellent. Well, I feel like um, we've talked about a lot of very good things here, but I feel like as host and as someone who grew up watching the VAR show on Friday nights and enjoying <laughs> and laughing at 80% of it and not quite always understanding 20% of it, shall we say, because I wasn't quite old enough, maybe. Oh, I thought you were going to say, but 20% of it just wasn't funny. No, it was all funny. <laughs> and my dad would be laughing uproariously. And sometimes I was like, I don't quite know what's funny about that. Particularly some of the sort of the more um, risque sketches sometimes. Yes. As you get older, you realise what was so funny about them. But <laughs> were there any um, teachers that informed any of the characters that you put together for the show, any of yours or even your, your colleagues on the show. But And it was funny, you said your art teacher was called uh, Mr. White, which given 
the art character of Johnny and his, <laughs> it seemed was that related or no no that that didn't that didn't come from him at all i mean uh, no i don't think any teachers ended up in the fast show it, it's interesting that uh, paul whitehouse and myself we work very well together and we both get inspiration from different places paul tends to base his characters at least to start with off people he knows or people he's met mm. i tend to come from more a uh, more of a theoretical angle of what about a type of character who does this so it's combining those two sort of ways of creating it. I, I don't think I've ever done, ever did a character that was based on anyone I knew, other than 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 in some ways, obviously Ralph, the 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 aristocrat who's in mm. love with his gardener. I could channel my teenage shyness, and you know that that's really about me trying to talk to girls at discos. Right. Well, yeah, it just makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was a, there was a TV show last night about um, comic relief. Where you appeared a couple of times, both one where you punched Robbie Williams, who was the kind of ah, yes. new gardener, uh, which is very funny. And the one where you were doing a, um, like the folk, a folk medley, and your cough, your coughing Bob Fleming and Paul. Uh, yeah, no, I I saw that was on, but uh, if I'd known I was going to be in it, I would have watched it. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just brilliant, <laughs> like that the bit of Ted's in the background, and suddenly is a bit like forlorn that you're not watching him waving him goodbye, <laughs> and then you realise, what, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> yeah, it's just, no, it's just it was so fun timeless. doing that, actually. Yeah. And Rob, Robbie was a good laugh. Yeah, well, that's funny, because school is such, there's so many characters in school, aren't there? Me and, my, me and my friends, you know, we have so many, like, one-word phrases, or, you know, one-word phrases that are evocative of a teacher, you know, immediately. Yeah. You can just say, say it's yes. a noise, or even just a way of looking, you know, a way of moving your glasses slightly, and it's like, everyone goes, oh, yeah, you know, Mr. Mr. So-and-so. Yeah, it's a great moment where you work out how to impersonate a teacher, where mm. you you think, aha, that's their catchphrase. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, uh, and that's what you're doing in a sketch show. You're trying to find the essence of a character. You don't start with a catchphrase. You start with writing it and thinking about it, and then you'll find that a certain phrase or way of talking will, will, will sum up that character very mm. quickly. Uh, and that's, you know, uh, why sketch shows like that, character sketch shows, are very useful for kids. Because it's very easy to do to do the sketches the next day, day as long as you can do the catchphrase and some approximation of a, of a voice, everyone knows what you're doing and and, and what it is. And, and and you know, it's a shame that there haven't been hasn't been in the last few years a new sketch show that that you know for that all the family can watch and the, the kids can do the next day. But yeah, I, I I can't remember any particular ways of impersonating but i do remember that moment where somebody in the class does it and then you're all doing it and that is the teacher yeah or and you know sometimes you do that with your with your with your friends as well pin them down yeah but yes i uh but i didn't take it i mean what i did take from school i mean when i was at school the big thing for my generation was a cosmonty python Mm. Um, so you would avidly watch that and then try and remember it all so you could sort of try and recreate it the next day at school and go through the sketches and the characters on that. Um, and inspired by that, uh, me and a friend who was also a huge Monty Python fan, we, we, we started putting on plays at the school, which was sort of inspired by Monty Python or ripped off Monty Python probably. <laughs> um, and trying to be as shocking as possible as well at the same time, uh, which was really what, what got me into performing and writing and creating and, and, that um, thrill you get from 
performing in front of people and 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 making them laugh is 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 quite a, yeah. quite an extraordinary thing. And was that something that did the school was that sort of done as, as a structured part of drama or something, or did you do it on your own time and again like sort of facilitate the school then sort of realise oh we could help put that on for you? There was a bit of both. We did we did official uh, plays through the school, but then every summer there was a. a a drama festival. They had a little theatre there. There was a school drama festival where kids could put on their own productions or whatever they wanted. Mm. They could do existing plays. I mean, I I think there was a time limit on it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how long these plays were? Uh, I don't think anybody did uh, long day's journey into night or anything like that. Um, and so, yeah, you'd you'd find little short plays, um, or 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 in my case, I started writing them. Uh, and you'd put that on for other kids and parents and things mm. and teachers and uh, it, uh, the school was good in that way in, in giving power and agency to the, to the kids of letting them sort things out for themselves a lot mm. and, um, which actually I think is one of the things that state schools could could take from the private sector. Yeah, yeah, well, that does sound like a lot of fun. I mean, like I say the, the buzz and the thrill of that and that little sort of that fresh on of like, oh, I like this, I could do this, I'd like to do this later in life, you know. You can see how yes. that, that starts somewhere yeah, like Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have any illusions that I would go into television and make comedy, you know. I didn't know any... I mean, yeah, we had a... We did, as you say, have a little television studio at the school, but there was no media studies, and then there was no thought of going on to do media studies. Mm. Um, TV was made by other people. I thought, well, Monty Python knows those. I'm never going to meet any of them. That's That's a different world. And, but, you know... So it was just done for fun, but you know, obviously, in retrospect, I learned a huge amount from doing that, which which fed into what I did later on. And there's that funny thing, isn't it? You and was it you and Paul Whitehouse ended up being decorators for Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie or something like that during that period. We did, London. yes. Um, I went after I left school. I uh, I went to Norwich, UEA, to uh, well, actually, I did study film studies as a minor subject alongside um, English. But that was on a you know an academic level mm. rather than a creative level, um, and I met Paul there. Uh, when I left university, I I was in a band for six years as a singer. Actually, that's another interesting thing that came out of the art department at school of of the kids kind of at my generation. I guess when when Bob White was at his peak, is that my band came out of there. The Higsons, half the gang of four, were in that art department, and also the Mekons, who were a big indie band at the time mm. all had all been sort of there was a two or three years between us but all roughly contemporaries and and so you know there was a lot of creative thought coming out of there which then fed into that whole i suppose the sort of late 70s punk music movement where people were encouraged to do things for themselves mm. so yeah i was in a band for a while uh paul was worked for acne council for a while and then i went into decorating because i could make more money at it uh, and I used to work a lot with Paul, who by then had become a, a, a plasterer. And uh, we we got to know Harry from when we were younger, and he was going into television, and he was doing stuff with Stephen and Hugh. They needed someone. They bought a house together. They needed someone to decorate it, and Harry said, oh, well, Charlie and Paul can do that. And so we did. And then, yes, and then Stephen and Hugh made enough money to move on. We made enough money in TV then to buy the house off them, so that was. Uh... Well, you you bought the house that they had from yes. them. Yeah, right. we did because we, partic we particularly liked how well it had been decorated. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's that's an that's a, I've never heard that part of the story. I knew that that you'd worked for them, as it were, like that, and then it all ends up becoming you know these the, the 
the dominant names in the comedy scene, but they actually bought the house as well. That's that's a great sort of circular <laughs> thing, yeah. They and should I have sh- sold it to, to someone like the Mighty Boosh. Yes, that would have been great. You could have had a real legacy. <laughs> the, the blue plaques on the front of the house would yeah. just take over. <laughs> <laughs> and I should ask, actually, this, this teacher obviously was so inspirational to you and others. I mean, have you ever, did you manage to speak with him afterwards? Did he know the impact he had on you? And Well, I did go back um, there. I think it may well have been his leaving due many years later. Uh, and I'd, you know, I, I, I've mentioned it before in, in sort of, couple of articles of this nature. And, uh, yeah, I don't think he remembered me. <laughs> <laughs> there was no, oh, my God, you've done well or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he, he, how many hundreds, thousands mm. of kids had been through that art department? And at the time, you know, I was not, you know, as I say, as a shy kid, I wasn't one of the kids pushing themselves to the front. Mm. So. But, no, that, did, that didn't matter. I wasn't going back to, I did, you know, I did tell him how important he'd been. And yeah. uh, you know, and there were a lot of kids there doing doing the same. He was he was he was an amazing guy. Yeah, we had we had Ricky Wilson on recently. He said the same thing at school. He was very quiet or shy. He perceived himself mm. to be quite reserved and, and not you know outgoing. And then obviously you know five ten years later, he was singing in a rock and roll band. And he said some of the teachers probably would have thought that can't be the same same pupil in my class. Well, you, know? you see, a, a lot of shy people do go into acting and performing particularly acting, because you're pretending to be someone else. Mm. You can pretend to be someone who isn't shy. It's not you. It's not yourself. You're hiding behind a different character. So it is a way of being able to think, well, what would it be like to be an outgoing, you know, what would it be like to be someone like Swiss Tony <laughs> for a while? Ah, it's quite fun, actually. Yeah, uh, You can be sort of big and bold and... Uh, Pontificating, yeah, well, Swiss Tony. I mean, that's is that a part of your personality gone seriously rogue? Do you think you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no, I think that is just a, a uh, you know, he's kind of like the opposite of of, of Ralph. Ralph is more me, mm. but Swiss Tony is, yeah, I think it is that classic. I'm going to hide behind a wig and a moustache and a shiny suit, yes, and pretend to be someone else. And that and that actually is a strategy for dealing with 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 shyness is to pretend mm. to be someone who isn't shy for a while and see how you get on yeah absolutely excellent well i mean i, I could sit and chat about comedy and, and crowds all day but i suppose <laughs> i better get back to work really but, <laughs> <laughs> but me too yeah um but i've got, got another this, book to write well yeah you've got this massive <laughs> unnamed project well it's actually it's a huge it's a huge fantasy series that i started when i was a teenager and i went back to and it's it's vast and it's not working. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it. But actually in lockdown, I, I have gone back and I've written, um, I wrote four books for adults in the early early 90s, mm. kind of crime-based. And I've written another crime-based adult book, um, which will be out next January, I think. So uh, I, I've got to do some rewrites on that. And, I'm, and is that... Is got that... a couple of TV things I'm working on as well. So, yes. I can't say any more. I've got to go back and entertain the nation with my marvellous <laughs> words. <laughs> well, the, the crime one, is that, are they quite serious and, and dark or have they got a sort of comedy um, edge? They are, they have, they're quite dark comedies, particularly the last two I, I wrote. There's, there's, there's more comedy in them. I suppose they're sort of in the realm of the sort of Coen Brothers type of things. Mm. 
of people getting involved in crimes and it all going wrong. Yes. And thinking like Fargo. You must have seen the Fargo TV series. Yes, exactly. And it's that kind of world, yeah, I guess, that's that, 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 that they were all set in, which is quite bleak yes. black comedy. Yeah. Um, it's also about... Um, it's characters. I love creating characters. So I, I just like creating some interesting characters and throwing them together. And a couple of them usually end up killing each other. <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought you've, we've seen how successful, um, I mean, I don't know if you've read the Richard Osman book, but I mean, that's very gentle, isn't it? And Yes, that's sort of the opposite of what I'm mm. doing. What's this, the Thursday Afternoon Murder Club? Yeah. I think mine is the uh, Friday Evening Perverts Club. <laughs> There's a there's a book title that would catch you <laughs> on, on the book stand, yeah. So consequently, his book was going to sell a lot more than mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll definitely look out for it. I'll definitely add, add a one to the sales total when that's out because it, it sounds great. Excellent. I do like a crime a crime thriller, particularly when it's got like a sort of yeah, like that Coen Brothers like sort of dark comic but bleak edge. There's there's very yes. sort of beguiling stories, aren't they? Excellent. Well, I think I think that's a perfect place to end on those that um, slightly. Um, surreal edge I suppose but um, that sounds great and yeah we'll both get back to work now um, but but thank you so much for chatting to us about, about school memories about the book about um, your sort of you know the, the comedy stuff as well I think that's fascinating to hear about I'm sure lots of teachers of you know the last 30 years they will, will remember that show with such fondness and it's great to well a lot of a lot of teachers end up going into comedy you know because they're you know because half your job as a teacher is is how to control a class you've got to mold them into being an audience if you like mm. which, is what I, which is what a comedian has to do is you've got a room of a lot of disparate people who are just there on a personal level you've got to make them one single entity who are going to sit and pay attention to you and i do a lot of schools visits in mm. my books uh, it's slightly tricky on this new one we're not quite sure how we're going to do it obviously because of restrictions um and yeah you know i have huge respect for teachers to be able to 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 deal with kids, you know, the the I can swan in, do one session with them, and you know, I, I've done it enough time. I've done hundreds of these visits, so mm. I, 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 you work up an act, and it, it is pretty much a comedy act because if you can get them laughing, you get them on your side. So, but to go in day after day with kids who aren't necessarily that excited to see you <laughs> yeah. is so much harder. Um, but yeah, you know, it, a, a lot of a lot of teachers do end up going at stand up comedy. Well, yeah, you're right, isn't it? What 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 tougher audience could there be than, mm. like, say, disinterested teenagers to to try and get on side? And if you can walk that line <laughs> and come out of it and be considered funny, you must think, well, I've got something here, you know, because to get it wrong and fall off the other side is probably very yes. painful. As we all know, there's nothing worse than attempting a joke that goes horribly wrong yeah. and nobody laughs at. <laughs> That's the worst, deepest, darkest pit you can fall into. Yes. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, but you are right there's a lot of teachers aren't there who, or former teachers who are now comedians so Greg Davis yeah. is one and uh, Ramesh Shrek yeah. Nathan is another and I'm sure there are many yeah. more so yeah well, if there's any teachers listening who are thinking about treading the boards as a comic it shows it can be done so <laughs> maybe now give it a go post pandemic well thank you so much again and um, uh, worst holiday ever that's out now definitely worth looking out for in the shops and uh, otherwise thank you so much for sharing all your, all your thoughts and your memories cheers that's been great fun 